Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of What Most People Think and it's good to be back man, I was away in Bournemouth for the weekend and just one observation before I introduce this week's co-host is that the iPhone weather app is shit. I think it needs to be amended from, just because there's a bit of rain on a day, it doesn't mean that the symbol for that day should be rain. We went with a lot of trepidation and we had we had several hours of sunshine, I've come back I've come back sporting a healthy glow, which my guest for today, Constantine Kissing, can see. Am I, am I looking all right, man? Am I looking rested? You're looking great, man. And uh, you know, tackling the big questions straight away, the iPhone weather app, that's that's the big issue. I'm increasingly in- concerned about these things. It's really <laughs> difficult to maintain a sort of tribal party political line when you just be, I'm sort of, my, I feel like my middle-agedness has accelerated for some reason. Don't make me talk about this fucking alpaca that everyone's banging on about. That's the big issue now. I don't want to talk about it. Have they not shot that thing in the head already? I would have <laughs> shot it in the head just for the way it looked at the camera, all cocky. And they are a bit cocky alpacas. It's like they haven't realized how fucking ugly they are. Mm. <laughs> are we allowed to do that? Sorry, first up, offense to any of people in the alpaca uh, community. <laughs> if, if we if we want to get into like um, some middle age stuff, can I just say that, you know, park and ride as a yep. concept? Do you know anybody that ever parks and rides? No, mate. I've Nobody never. Nobody parks and rides. No, no. I don't know what they're for. It's like, have you ever been um, pick your own fruit? Have you ever done that? When I was a kid, yeah, but that was mainly for out of necessity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, you're reminding me of my Russian background as well. We used to do that. But no, it's something I'd like to do. Maybe when, when I have kids, if I ever have them. Uh, that would be a thing that I can find out if that actually exists. But I've read a lot about it. I've been. No, doing it the does research. happen, but again, it's become quite a middle class pursuit, you know. Whereas, like my mum, we used to, we when I mean, we did it as fun, but it's it's become a bit like you know when the kids go and pick their pumpkin now. It's just become more of a thing, you know. Mm. It's for it's for mums desperate for Insta content. Um, but park and ride, I suppose, in the age, obviously, we've got a climate catastrophe coming our way very fast, and we're all going to die. So park and ride, good idea. Just not a good idea. Do you know what I mean? Something that on paper is absolutely a good idea. But when push comes to shove, everyone goes, I'd rather park in the place and pay seven times as much. Right. Well, the thing as well is like you're getting on a bus with other people now. And obviously after 18 months of you're going to die, you're a vector yeah. of disease. Who, who wants to do that? Even to save the climate? No, fuck that. It does feel like, like if you're getting on a little bus from a medium or long stay car park to get on a plane, you go, I will take that travel kind of intersection but to get to like Bournemouth town center from the Mm. edge of Bournemouth it doesn't feel like quite enough to be getting on a bus you're quite right and obviously risking uh all the the airborne viruses that we now are prey to I went to uh Corfe Castle I don't know if you know about Corfe Castle there it's one of the best castles in Britain mate it was uh I've already forgotten all the history but it's 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 from to like 10 it's after the uh Norman invasion and I really thought my son would be bored shitless but I just forgot castles are pretty cool. Oh, I love a castle, mate. I live in Kent and I've seen all the local castles. Bodiam Castle is the best castle in the UK by far. So this brings me interestingly, like this, this is what people really want to argue about at the moment. We're in silly season, right? It's August. It, you know, most people just want to talk about stupid shit, like whether or not we should assassinate alpacas. And and so last week I asked. I, I, I asserted my three favourite um, service stations and I asked for people's kind of feedback on whether I'd got it right or not. From memory, I think I said Oxford Services, uh, Norton Keynes on the um, on the M6 toll road and Weatherby. Um, do you, I mean, as a, as a stand-up who's done the road, do you have a favoured services? I think the Oxford one is really good. It genuinely is, is yeah. one of the best ones. Uh, but uh, I was going to ask you something else, and this may come across very snobby and sort of middle class, oh, even go. though you know I'm Russian, I have no class. But uh, like, there is. Do, do you find that service stations have their own demographic that 
doesn't it just they yeah. don't represent the country but it's a very particular group of people that you don't yeah. get to see as a collective anywhere else yeah it's it's like you see the people eating beef and black bean sauce at chopsticks you get the impression that that is <laughs> the only veg that they're, they're getting like i'm thinking also as we're talking i'm thinking of a, a brilliant services that i've not mentioned beaconsfield big shout out to beaconsfield services it's got a fucking, it's got a pub uh, it's got a hotel it's got a pizza express it's basically a city it's basically you could have you could have a fully rounded because it's got an arcade in there it's got starbucks you can have a, a, a beautiful little mini break at beaconsfield you know Mm. Beaconsfield. I've, I've, got, taken... I've got nothing, mate. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, it, it sounds like I've finally uh, taken on advertising, um, and that that would be the level at which I actually got paid for advertising, wouldn't it? It'd be advertising. I look like a guy that would know about service stations, and I do. We did get a bit of interaction. Um, if someone said, "I'm sorry for this. I don't have the name of the person," but if you stop off at Wev- Weatherby, I'd highly recommend the Weatherby Whaler Chippy, like a proper chippy at services. Mm. Huge portions and great value for. My... Wait a minute. Is this the owner of the Weatherby Whaler Chippy here? <laughs> Open every day apart from Christmas Day, 11 a.m. to 11. This is so blatantly an advert. 11 a.m. to 11. You're literally doing an ad for free, Jeff. That is the oh, level well, you're operating well, at. Well, look, mate. fair play. I, I admire Chancer. 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. for takeaway with branches in Wakefield, Pudsley, Geisley, York, and Tadcaster. Uh, eat in, you get a pot of tea that gives you seven cups plus a mountain of sliced bread for a starter. See, this is why I have a Patreon community because I don't read stuff like that well. I start to do my wanker voice. Um, but well, look, that'll be the one and only advert that we ever um, have. We cuss count. Let's just update the cuss count. You've been on a few times now. Last week was a solo show. We were rocking 1.02 swears a minute, which is a pretty healthy, healthy rate after quite a few lean weeks. You've been, this will be your fourth time or maybe even fifth. I think this is your fifth. How many average swears do you think that you're, you're coming in with at the moment? I think I've already sworn, haven't I? So I well, think this will be, I mean, I've got an updated leaderboard as of before this show. So have you? Yeah, I'm guessing I'm at probably 1.5 a minute. One, 1. 1.5. Well, you, you're a bit coy there, Constantine. You're on 5.6, which actually, <laughs> which fucking hell, mate. <laughs> that is that's not. So if you want to know where that puts you, just in terms of uh, wait, wait, are you saying I swear every like 12 seconds? Five. No, no. 5.6 per. Sorry, per episode. Oh, per episode. Per, I episode. Thought you said per minute. So, I was like, wow. So in terms of uh, total swears. That puts you in fifth position, but in terms of averages, that's very mid-table, I'd say. Yeah, very. Mid-table. Who's ahead of me? Who's who's leading the pack? <laughs> this is a classic comedian's question. Uh, well, Romish Ranganathan is the absolute twenty-six and a half swears per episode. Wow. Uh, David Baddiel twenty swears off one episode. Andrew Doyle twenty-seven off four. So I mean, he's got a good overall. Doyle, wow. But only six, but it's only an average of six point seven. So you and him are scrapping it out uh, mm. in mid table there. We're just going to mention a, a few, a couple of VIP patrons. We had a rash of new patrons. Thanks for that. Bear in mind that if you do join the Patreon, not that I ever advertise, um, but if you do join the Patreon, uh, you will get access to my last stand up special, Taking Liberties, which obviously Constantine was support act on more than mm. once and did a great job, but now he doesn't do stand-up anymore because he's too <laughs> fucking big for it, apparently, uh, which we'll get on to in a sec. But uh, two VIPs to welcome, and we'll welcome everybody else later in the show, is Chris. Uh, we always presume that anybody given a one-namer is working at a woke institution where they can't reveal their true identity. So do we want to speculate where Chris might work? What kind of job environment would preclude... Chris is a civil servant kind of name, isn't it? I think, yeah, yeah. Local council housing, which is always very mm. politicised. A lot mm. of a lot of single earrings in the house. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fifty-six-year-old Corbynistas there, Chris. But you keep fighting the good fight. Um, and we've got Liam O'Sullivan, who just sounds like an acerbic Daily Telegraph columnist, doesn't he? Mm. I mean, With it, Irish Irish roots. You're thinking of Liam Halligan. Liam Halligan, or maybe it's one of those Irish guys, but like a self-hating Irish guy that <laughs> <laughs> really gets annoyed by what, whoever is the tea shook uh, mm. at any given time. Um, just a quick one on, on the stand up there. So, I mean, I don't know if I'm kind of, you know, breaking news here, but you're, you're not really looking to get back into it at the moment, are you? Certainly for now. No, man. And I, I wish I had some kind of like exciting celebrity reason to, to, to not do yeah. it. I just, 
the lifestyle was not good for me. You know, my wife and I basically, you know, you know, me and my wife were very close. We have a very yeah. kind of loving, romantic relationship. But we were like right, halfway. Half <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, well, you love your wife. Uh, uh, you're a big gay. <laughs> That's a big gay. He's always got his thing about that big gay was when someone did something ultimately heterosexual. That yeah. was then gay, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Well, you having sex with women, gay lord? <laughs> exactly. So, but but we were like well on our way towards you know starting to hate each other and and not just not spending enough time together. Basically, you know, when I was working on the circuit, you know, traveling yeah. to Plymouth and wherever, opening with you, which I loved. I really loved the performance, yeah. but the lifestyle itself wasn't working. And uh, now that with trigonometry is what it is, and I do lots of other stuff, writing, I'm, you know, the book I'm working on, uh, media stuff. Talk us, talk us about a book. Let's get people wet. This I know it's not out for a while, but let's wet some appetites here. It's got a great title. Remind me of the title. The, the book's called An Immigrant's Love Letter to the West, and it's really, yeah. really talking about why why the West is good and why maybe we shouldn't throw it all out and, and start over again. With Shut up, you bootlicker. Exactly. How dare you suggest that the West, where a lot of people are trying to live, is good. Yeah, exactly. But it's basically about that and also just trying to maybe give people who don't have a sense of what it should really be compared with, right? Because I think one of the big reasons that we're seeing some of the social thing movements that we're seeing is people don't realize that you can compare the West to other places. Yeah. So when we talk about how evil and racist and whatever this society is, you kind of have to look at other societies around the world and, and make a comparison. So mm. as someone who comes from the outside, I've always thought that's that's an important thing to actually think about. Well, what is the alternative here? Yeah, no, I've long thought that the, the left, particularly in this country, both politically and socially, they're sort of, especially politically in a way, they're sort of jacked up on hypothetical certainty. So mm. it's been a while. A long, if you think, like, apart from Sadiq winning the mayor, you know, certain mayor uh, contests, um, they haven't won an election since 2005, like a major election. So we're getting on for 20 years, you know, well, yeah, nearer 20 years than not, where they haven't really had their ideas stress tested. Mm. So what that means is they're basically the left in a large sense is that bloke behind you at the football. Mm. You know, I mean, I mean, in many ways, Keir Starmer is a great sort of ambassador for the modern left. He's like, well, you, you shouldn't have done that. You should have done this. And she we should have bought him off earlier. Uh, didn't I, I said that last week, didn't I, Bill? I yeah. said that last week. Yeah, it's all very, very theoretical and uh, not very practical. I just think it, I think it would be helpful for someone who's from outside of this society to go, yeah. well, actually, here's how things are elsewhere. And if you don't want to be like that, then maybe we should hold on to some of the good stuff that we have here in the West and you know, give that, give that alternative point of view. Because I think it's not really been represented very well in recent times, the, the stuff yeah. that seems to get the headlines and get the attention is all this you know and some of the they're not necessarily bad books but this uh i, I forget the guy's name empire land uh, and and other other things like that british by Afa hirsch etc there's a lot of kind of there's yeah. a big market from self-flagellating white liberals for people from outside to come in and tell them how evil they are yeah. i'm kind of trying to come in from the outside and go actually well, you're not as bad as you think and isn't it? I think this is great about comedians and stuff. Is that, that we we've sort? I think we've done good work collectively. There's been a lot of spheres in which, like David Baddiel's book, mm. uh, um, "Jews Don't Count." You know, you think about May Martin's written a book. Richard Herring made this point about a lot of comedians are actually stepping into areas and, and sort of rebalancing dialogue. You know, we've done that in comedy, and I think that this. I mean, that title that you've got there. You know me. I, I'm all about. You love titles. a title, mate. You love a title. By the way, you're you're very good with it, man. Like when I was doing my Edinburgh show, you were very like persistent with me about getting the title right, and I appreciate. Well, what that. was the you had a, you had a very creative title, but I remember my face dropped when you said it to me. I yeah. Like, no. No. What was the original? Because the, oh, the show it, ended up being called. What was it called? It, it ended up being called Orwell that ends well, and it was all about censorship. Yeah. I didn't think speech. that was until you thought of that, but I just before that. Yeah. You said a title. What was it? I, I think it was something like Black Russian or something. You know, they, like it didn't make any sense. And, and you were I, like, Constantine, you might want to sell some tickets, mate. So try. I this. mean, I can still remember as you said it to me because you'd said the whole concept of the show. I was like, this is going to be absolutely banging. Then you went, oh, what's it called? And you were like, Black Russian. <laughs> <laughs> so no man but you come up with an absolute belt and you had a brilliant run obviously now too big to even do stand-up so whatever no man been... i just don't want to get divorced i'm just i'm too old yeah, to get divorced the... now i'm not sure i can get back on 
on, on the you know on the wagon again at this point. So I just rather uh, stick with the one I've got. No, look, but what you're doing there is you're also showing emotional intelligence at a level that most comedians aren't capable of doing it. Most of them would happily just continually body slam their marriage just for the chance of doing sort of two 20 minute sets every four weeks. You know, that's better yeah. than marriage. Yeah. Um, we're just going to do a quick thank you and a fuck you before we crack on. As ever, the co-host, the first ever co-host, returning co-host, uh, I'll give the honor to you if you have anything. Well, thank you. Uh, you know what? This is going to make me sound right wing and I'm not, as you well know, but thank you to William Hague. Yeah. Because this week he's come out and he started talking about decriminalizing drugs. Uh, and yes. I think it's a really important conversation. And I think it's a really important conversation for people on the right to start having, you mm. know, in, in a following the science to coin the term kind of way, right? Rather than the sort of, there is a social conservative conversation about the drug issue, which is basically drugs are bad, people shouldn't take them. And if they do, it's mm. a moral failing. I think you need to start having a practical approach. So the fact that he's come out this week and written an article, I think in the Times saying, yeah. we need to decriminalize drugs, I think it's really good. Uh, and a big fuck you to Arnold Schwarzenegger this week. Um, hang on a sec, could, we, could I just jump in on Haig? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. such a good thing um, to bring up. Yeah, I, abs I absolutely agree about Haig. I mean, I think that conservatism as it, at its best is built on a kind of pragmatism. It's not It's not the world as you wish it to be. It's, where is the world? And you have a position at the moment where even old people are more progressive than the government. But we have this situation where political leaders, successive political leaders on both sides, are terrified of being the first person to do it because I think we might have even discussed this before, but none of them want to be photoshopped with a spliff in their hand on the front of the sun, do they? Mm, no. Boris, yeah, <laughs> Keir Spliffer. It'd be a really bad pun as well. Yeah. And and so we have this thing where, and I think um, I think it was, I can't remember who made the point, it's Danny Finkelstein or someone like that who said, or it might be even been Ian Dunn, but said, look, we have this trend whereby the moment people are out of the glare of office, conservatives often suddenly become pro decriminalization mm. it's a shame they can't do it while they're in power yeah absolutely and this is the thing that really actually irritates me about people on the right is that i i do think that the right is more likely to to think about sort of facts and logic quote unquote yeah. and to look at the reality as opposed to that kind of hypothetical thinking that we were talking about just a few minutes ago but on this issue that for many people that just seems to go out of the window and it's all about you know, oh, I feel like this, you know, and it's yeah. all about emotions and feelings. And I just think we need to start having a much more sensible conversation because, you know, we've interviewed a couple of people on our show, Dr. David Nutt, uh, who, mm. who was the guy who, who was forced out by Gordon Brown at the time for talking about the facts around drugs. Yeah, I mean, Gordon Brown was very, very small C conservative, wasn't he? Mm. Gordon Brown was actually saying at one point that, that, that school children should pledge allegiance to the Union Jack. In class, mm. people forget that it's possible for Labour politicians to be sort, sort of, uh, you know, quite small C conservative in that way. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. And so the, the, the whole point to me about the, the war on drugs is just it's not working. It's not mm. working. And, and you look around, whether it's the stabbings in London, whether it's the prison population, whether it's the racial tensions that we seem to, to be amplifying in the country, a lot of all of that basically has a lot to do with the war on drugs. And I just think that we need to have a more practical approach about it. So it's like you say, it's good that William Hague, who's a very significant person to come out and say that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's happening. Hopefully that will uh, that will start to change the, the narrative in government as well. The fuck you is uh, the one, the only Arnold Schwarzenegger this week, because he's just come out and said that, that talking about, you know, mask wearing, etc. that uh, he said, screw your freedom, basically to, to everyone who's not wearing a mask, which kind of, you know, it kind of makes me think that, you know, if, if someone is going to say something like screw your freedom, I don't want to hear it in an Austrian accent. Do you know what I mean? It just, <laughs> just sends shivers down my spine. Let's not do that, Arnold. Well, maybe this is it now. He finally is actually the Terminator, but he's been sent from a, a very censorious interventionalist future to just micromanage human behaviour. It's way less sexy than what we were first sold in Terminator, which is a kind of cyber war. He's just going to be several versions of Arnold Schwarzenegger that are going to come back. He'll be doing pronouns next. Yeah, you're describing a middle-aged, yeah. middle-class <laughs> horror yeah. movie there, aren't you, Jeff? 
God, <laughs> have you seen that movie? Have you seen that movie? Let's go with with, with our friends. Uh, you know, all of us in our forties. Let's just go and watch this. What what is it about? Oh, it's about an old guy. You know, coming back and being, you know, telling everyone what to think and using the wrong pronouns. You know? Yeah, exactly. I, he, when he starts searching for Sarah Connor, he'll say, "Where is they?" <laughs> Okay, we're going to crack on. The first subject we're going to look at today is uh, actually a tweet that Constantine I think did I think last week about mm. essentially how how moderate people could become anti-vax. So even while that sting was playing, I've been pulled up there. So not not anti-vax, vaccine hesitant. Right. Okay. So. The floor is yours, really. I mean, I just thought it was there was a lot of, of posts to it, but I'm going to ask you to sort of unroll it in the way that mm. some of these apps do online. But just give us the broad sweep of what you were saying. Well, uh, so can we address the anti-vaxxing very quickly first? Absolutely. Just, so so anti-vax to me is someone who thinks vaccines don't work uh, mm. and doesn't take them. I've had loads of vaccines. My father used to make them in the Soviet Union. Mm. Uh, so uh, there's a difference between a lot of the people who are hesitant about taking this COVID vaccine or one of the COVID vaccines are people who've had loads of vaccines in the past. So they're not anti-vax. Yeah. They're just reluctant or hesitant about this particular one or taking it right now. So I think it's an important distinction. Mm. But broadly, what I what I was plotting in, in my Twitter thread, which is now an article in Tablet Magazine, is all the gaslighting, a word that you and I both like, over the last five years by the pub, uh, by the politicians, by the media, by scientists, by doctors that has been happening uh, since basically Brexit. I started a Brexit. Now, realistically, you could have started it at the Iraq war, which was mm -hmm. a big disillusionment to a lot of people. But I just chart the last five years where the polling industry got everything wrong. So this is an example of, of how kind of mainstream political discourse has been debunked or certainly what expected outcomes have started to not materialise. Right. Well, my, my point is basically this. For, for the last five years, you've been told that Brexit wasn't going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. You were then told that Donald Trump wasn't going to get elected. Then when he did get elected, you were told it was because of the Russians. Right. When it mm -hmm. turned out it wasn't because of the Russians, you were told it's because your country is systemically racist. Right. Then you had various cases uh, in, in American media, in particular, the Juicy Smouye case, the Covington MAGA cat kids. You know, these are very niche incidents but the point is then you had um so just in in terms of yeah. that case I, I think i mentioned this briefly last week but it, it was it was about a, a black actor who basically was it appeared to have been involved in a, a, a sort of racist kidnapping which got loads and loads and loads of coverage yeah. and then it turned out he'd staged it himself and that didn't get much. yeah he hired two nigerians to attack him while wearing maga hats uh and claimed that he was assaulted by Trump supporters when it was people he'd actually paid to us. So, and then what I get you, what you're saying is the way that the the mass media fanned this yeah. story, yeah, exactly, uh, uh, wasn't really matched by the way when it was when it was proved not to be true. Right. So they embraced it uncritically because it matched the narrative, as opposed to looking at it as any other alleged crime where you wait for an investigation, yeah, absolutely, to happen yeah. or whatever. Uh, so, so, and and that, but but the point is as well is that wasn't just an, an isolated incident. That was used as part of a narrative about America, mm. right? It wasn't just yeah. an independent incident. Uh, and you fast forward to last year when, uh, you know, we had very severe lockdowns. People were forced to stay at home. They were told that going out and uh, being in a crowd with other people would, would spread COVID and it was dangerous. Yeah, of course, the moment that BLM happened, uh, suddenly, and I, I, the thing with, with the thread that I posted is I give receipts for all of this stuff. I post links to articles yeah. where the moment the BLM uh, protests start happening, doctors now started saying that protesting in public is a, is a very important public health intervention, mm. right? So they completely flip what they were saying overnight. Uh, and I give other examples of the American Psycholo Psychologist Association saying that men and masculinity are toxic, the, you know, there's other people saying there's an infinite number of genders, et cetera. So I, I basically go through and give all, a list of all the things where we've essentially been gaslit or lied to, or we've had misrepresented to us. And then my conclusion about that, and look even at the, the, the COVID situation, we've, we were told that masks 
don't work and we shouldn't wear them. And then three months later that they do work and we should wear them. Uh, we were told that the number of people who died of, uh, of COVID is one thing. And then we, we find out actually the stats were completely off because a lot of people who, who, who were included in the stats were people who died after testing positive. Yeah, they, they'd recovered and then died from something else. From something else, like they were yeah. run over I think there was by still, Yeah, 5,000 people were taken off the, yeah. the actual count for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and there were other numbers in terms of the difference between someone who caught COVID and went to hospital and someone mm. who went to, to hospital with a heart attack and caught COVID in hospital, which turns out is a very mm. significant proportion of the hospitalization. So when we talk about all of these numbers, they're not really representative of what's actually happening, but that mm. is the narrative from the media and that's a narrative from politicians. So my, my point is for the last five years and probably longer, we, we've had a, a never ending barrage of misrepresentation and gaslighting from these institutions. Is it then surprising that when these institutions tell us that you must do this and you must do that, some people are hesitant about mm. following that advice, particularly when the evidence on long-term risks of vaccines are not yet clear because we haven't had long enough to, to actually uh, see what the long-term impact is. And I would throw into that, you know, when we were, when we, the roadmap was laid out, it was a very well-received roadmap. And one mm. of the original principles was vaccinate the vulnerable. That was yeah. the original criteria. Right. Everyone was like, that's absolutely reasonable. Once we vaccinate the vulnerable, then it became vaccinate. And, you know, there's an argument, I guess, that certain variants, uh, there were less positive outcomes, uh, I guess. But what you can't not do is reckon with some of these things, right, where, where, where you can see that people have lost a bit of trust uh, in mainstream media and and the problem is is when you as you're right when you talk about vaccine hesitancy and people are anti-vax when you have something like you had last week where a, a bunch of guys turned up at a bbc uh, studios that weren't exactly bbc studios it was a bit mis misrepresented actually because they were actually a, a studios that uh, broadcast a number of different programs including uh this morning and various different programs were made there but it wasn't explicitly a bbc uh, studio they were then ridiculed and it was used as a stick to say essentially anyone with any vaccine hesitancy you're like these guys mm -hmm. and it was in, it, yeah. it reminded me in a way of like shortly after brexit what what they would do for vox pops which is a word for when you interview people outside of you know in the uh, just in public or on the high street about uh political issues they would just wait outside like poundland or they would just you know, they were very selective about the kind of people that they would speak to. Mm. They would speak to very scared-looking normal members of the public who were speaking on camera possibly for the first time and would say slightly odd things, as you do when you're nervous and under pressure. Then that clip would then go viral and then go, this is who voted for Brexit. Mm. So I think it, it was a really important... Uh, you know, I think that people don't have to agree with everything you said, but what you can't do is not reckon with, with it. You have right. to take on these things individually. What has been the kind of reaction that you've got you've got to this? Because eminently, I think most people listening to this would say this seemed reasonable so far. Yeah, well, the, the thread is, is done very well. It's got over, I think, 10 million people have seen it now. And, you know, I got commissioned to basically publish that very piece as, as an article now yeah. which more people have seen so it got a lot of traction a lot of people saw it politicians commentators etc uh the, the reaction is always the same if you remember last time uh you mm. had me co-host it was because uh, yeah i had yet another viral thread on yes Twitter, so. it's that, almost like there's a co co connection a connection here. yeah it's i'm riding like in the slipstream of your viral successes exactly <laughs> but but it was also about the media and at the time i was saying that the media were not covering the COVID situation well, because instead of addressing the important questions, they were doing all this gotcha shit uh, mm. with Boris Johnson and, 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 and other politicians and advisors. So every time that I criticize the media, I try to do it in a way that I think is fair and accurate. And I, a lot of people clearly recognize that as being the case. The only people who have a negative reaction to that are journalists. And I, I think, you know, that's partly because I think deep down they know I'm right. You know, yeah. they 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 get kind of inexplicably angry, which is usually the sign of someone who knows that there's a mm. truth to what you're saying about it. And, and they are the people that get very upset. And I think it's because 
I mean, they know where this leads. It means that, you know, five, 10 years from now, a lot of them are not going to have jobs anymore because, and look, my main criticism of the media is actually not even the bias or the, or, or the whatever. It's they've lost their ability to explain what's happening. If you just watch the media, would you really understand why certain things are happening in society? You look mm. at any issue, look at, say, I don't know, look at uh, terrorism, for example, right? Nice, lighthearted issue for a comedy podcast. <laughs> um, but could you, could you, if you just watch the BBC or Sky News or whatever, would you know why a terrorist attack is happening in London? I mean, the, the deep underlying reasons for it. No, I mean, it's, it's a really good example. And I do think that I've noticed, you know, I am a consumer of mainstream news and I, and I probably always will be on some mm. level. But certainly in the last few years, I've noticed that it seems to, its intention seems to be more to form an opinion than to kind of represent facts you know and it's a very basic function and it, again it gets dismissed as cranky oh you know people questioning the msm and you go yeah but this is this is happening for a reason and it was accelerated by brexit people mm. sort of dug into their trenches on both sides mm. but it's fair to say that i think in terms of when you look at the likes of people that work at bbc news sky news cnn but more or less most of most reporters would have been on the more remaining side and 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 you saw them displaying their bias far more nakedly. I mean, like, for example, that Emily Maitlis piece, you know, that opening monologue, I think she's a really good journalist and stuff, but you can't tell me that, that, that sort of accusing Boris Johnson of blind loyalty, that that is an objective comment. Yeah. I mean, she tried to claim that, you know, I was just saying, that, and, and, you know, people were defending her, saying, well, these are the facts. You think it's a problem because if you're scared of the rise of the far right, as we both are, you just know that every time something like this happens, you lose a few more soldiers, right? Mm. Because they can actually look at specific examples of where, and you know, in fairness to the BBC, they did actually censure her for that. But in a weird way, the damage is, is already done, isn't it? Yeah. And look, the bias is a separate issue. And I do think it's an issue. Of course it is in, in many publications. But what I'm talking about, actually, I think is much deeper than that, Jeff, which is the ability to explain to the public what is actually happening and why mm. is no longer a function of the mainstream media. And I think that's a big problem. If the media doesn't see its job as elucidating the truth and explaining why things are happening in a way that's accurate, that goes beyond bias. That's a much bigger problem. It, it, you, you sort of start to go, well, what is actually the purpose of the media as, as a mm. thing? Is it, is it to inform? Is it to entertain or is it to indoctrinate? And, and my concern is that we are now getting to a point where it's much more about advancing a particular ideology, which happens again, as you say, on both sides. There are right-leaning publications that have the same problem. They're not really explaining to people why things are happening and putting things in context. They're much more about you know, uh, pressing buttons that are gonna get people to share that article or click on that article and read it without necessarily giving people a full picture of what's going on. Uh, and that, that is a worry because what it means is it's hard, to, it's hard for people to know what's, what's true anymore. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I think, you know, in a way, weird way, something like full fact, right? These fact-checking organizations, when you read them, they actually sound like newspapers used to sound. <laughs> mm, mm. Do you know what I mean? Like someone has actually gone through and, and carefully said, right, how much of this can we, we prove? And one of the interesting full fact articles was, you know, this, uh, this thing that Boris Johnson had, he claimed that he'd said that he was against people booing, taking the knee, right? And so obviously in, in the left-leaning world of social media, that had a lot of traction. And it's pretty much what everybody thinks, I think. And then what full fact showed was that it was it just wasn't as clear cut. Like he both had spoke out against it, had said nothing, had seemed to say the other. So, and I thought, well, that's what I want to know. So to me then, what I know now is that Boris Johnson is a shape-shifting populist who'll say different things in different places. But whereas the version of what he did that played out you know, particularly in the world of sort of news on social media, was very simple. Is that he never said it, and he's a liar. I was like, no, no, no. He's, he's more complicated than just a liar. You know, and so once again, the left find themselves grappling with the imaginary bogeyman because their their Boris Johnson bogeyman is just a straight up, barefaced liar. When actually, he's far more slippery than that. Yeah, well, exactly. And I think this oversimplification again, as you say, it works both ways. I think a lot of people. 
And look, we all go through this. I don't want to necessarily blame people for thinking this way. We all go through the process of being like, oh, these, you know, and I never really use the word snowflake, but just for the purposes of satirizing this position, oh, mm. these woke snowflakes with pink hair running around telling everyone what they can. Like, it's not like that either, right? That they are a tiny minority of the people mm. on the left and the left is a broad church. There are very, very good people on the left who, who are not into that sort of stuff at all. But we've all retreated into this world of caricatures yeah. and this world of caricatures is being amplified by the media instead of giving us the nuance and the context maybe because we don't want to read it anymore i don't know mm. maybe maybe it's our fault but uh, it's just a concern to me that everything it's like you know i've been thinking a lot about this like we 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 live in a world now where everything is almost everything is decontextualized now and you, it's almost hard to say what happened when chronologically because we are losing that kind of structure of time. You know mm. what I mean? Because everything is an event as opposed to part of a process. I think I think what you've done here, you know, is 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 a really important thing. And I know that people listening. I mean, what we've done here is very straight discourse and stuff. But I really wanted to get this out there and people to respond. You know, what most people think UK at gmail.com. You should be following Constantine already on Twitter. But, you know, respond back to him because I think it's a really interesting idea to engage in here. And in the end, it's, it's, it's a very deep but simple idea is that the news is no longer doing its job. Right. And uh, I guess at the, at the very core of it, it's an even simpler idea, Jeff, which is if you keep lying to people at some point, they're going to stop trusting you. In, in many ways, it's even simpler than that. I just I thought it'd be funny <laughs> if we ended by trying. <laughs> I can I tell you something, mate. Regular listeners will know I can definitely outsimplify anybody <laughs> as, as a simpleton. Okay, we're just going to do a quick hype here. I'm going to, I should let my, my guest hype first, of course. We've, we've teased the book coming up. Obviously, people should already be watching and listening to Trigonometry. Anything else we should point people towards? No, man, that's it. Uh, the only other thing I would say for people who are fans of Trigonometry is Francis is uh, warming up for his tour now. He's doing previews and stuff, and it's mm -hmm. going very well, Francis Foster. So make sure you, you go and check out any shows that he's doing. And Jeff, you, you, you are you on tour already? Well, it's funny you should say that, Constantine. Uh, I'm going out on a start in earnest on the 8th of September. So we released more tickets for my one Edinburgh date on the 21st of August. Those have almost gone, but get in there. Um, and then there's a few places like Barnstable. We just checked, does anybody fucking live in Barnstable? I mean, I've sold enough tickets for there. You know, it's going to be a nice show. I would like to think that there are more people in Barnstable that might fancy a little Friday night at the Queen's Theatre. Fucking wrong -uns. Just get just buy the tickets. Okay, yeah. and also Northampton. The amount of times this is what happens once you start touring. All the time, people contact you and go, "Why did you never come to my town?" Then you put a date in, and then it's one of the slowest selling ones. So Northampton, <laughs> again, we've got numbers on the board, but you know you got to come good. And then the other thing that happens, Constantine, is that people will constantly like contact you. So you'll put I, I hype my tour all the time on Twitter on this podcast. I say, and then you'll literally post a link, and they'll say, "Are you coming to Nottingham?" They go, it's the first date on the tour. If you just literally click on the link above, you'll see all of them. Okay, so I realise this is quite an aggressive sales pitch here, and it's not necessarily the way. I was going to say, you're really going after them, mate. Just, uh, just tell them, just tell them you're coming tonight. Well, you time. know, I feel like I'm dealing with actual grown-ups with this podcast, and rather than be going, "Hey guys," you know, in that sort of beta male way of saying, "It'd be really great to see you out there," I'll say, "You don't need to fucking pull your finger out, all right? Some of you are doing all right. Big up Leeds, Milton Keynes. You're doing your jobs." Well, I gotta say, Leicester, you're dragging your heels, Leicester. If you don't, if you don't come to this, I might not even come back. Uh, right, so let's uh, welcome a couple more patrons. <laughs> uh, we've got Neil Barbie. Neil Barbie. Oh my God, Neil! If you were alive in the nineties when Barbie Girl was out, mm. fucking that is that is over. Can is I a just... Y or IE on the end? It's a Y. It's a you Y. Can't. But I mean, imagine every day in in registration. Neil Barbie, I'm a Barbie girl. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, that's really grown up, guys. That's really grown up. And then the more he gets, like, bent out of shape about it, the funnier it gets. It's like constantly kissing for me. <laughs> I mean, that is not the worst connotation of your no. double, double K name. Let's be you honest. know what happens? It's interesting. Whenever I have a, a Twitter spat with somebody on, on, like, the radical left, yeah, like an Ash Sarkar or someone, and, and she quote tweets me, that is the only time anyone ever comes in in my mentions and goes constantly pissing, ever. Really? 
Yeah, like the, for some reason, the the, the really immature uh, name calling is always from that lot. Oh yeah, well I mean they're, they're still they're still living in the late eighties when uh, comedy was all done from one political side. They, they don't really, you know, they're, they're still in the late eighties when the only right wing comedian they can think of is Jim Davidson. So let's let them live in. You know, they love to think that they're progressive, but actually <laughs> they're, they're sort of stuck in a quantum time leap. Uh, Samantha Trap, that is sort of like... That, I mean, that's it sounds cool. like a call for help, mate. She just put her surname as Trap just to let you know she needs some help. That is, I mean... Get me out name, of here. I'm Samantha, get me out of here. I mean, I don't know if you're married, Samantha, but, you know, in terms of it's sort of inane shit that blokes would shout out at weddings. It's a trap. I mean, blokes actually say that. <laughs> uh I, I've just done a slightly more, a slightly, only barely slightly cleverer version of that joke, haven't I? Go on then. Well, I've just done it. The, the whole thing she's trapped sounds like a trap. So you oh, yeah, yeah, but it. you made it some enigmatic thing. I, I've gone for the, the sort of the Big one. Mac value meal version of that, <laughs> <laughs> of that joke. Uh, we got Phil Holly. Phil Holly. Well, what's Phil Holly sounding like? Hmm. What kind of job would Phil Holly do? You got to speak to Phil Holly in accounts. He's one of those guys with a fun name but works in a boring job. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You got to speak to Phil Holly in accounts. But once a year, the Christmas do he does his Mick Jagger walk. Everyone loves it. Uh, Keith Jalapeno. No, I mean, come yeah, on, fuck man. off. Fuck oh, and and then the next one is Spencer Simons. Bullshit. I know a fake name when I see him. No, Spencer that's just a mid- Jeff. It's just a middle class name, not a fake one. Same thing. John Adams. <laughs> A lot of respect if it is that the John Adams, the John Adams, slightly dead, but good for good of him to write in. Yeah, no, he's still. I mean, he's patron. You know, he's sort of supporting the idea of free mm-hmm. enterprise, which is very on brand. Uh, Danny Collier. Uh, there's no way, Danny Collier, that you are not Northern. That, that I was going to say. I mean, definitely outside the M25. You know what I mean? Yeah, Telford, maybe that's my yeah. go-to place at the moment. Middle England. <laughs> Danny Collier uh, and Matt, just a single word, word name there. So are we thinking civil service that male primary school teacher? Yeah, could be, could be. So Matt, we feel we feel your pain, mate, at the moment in that staff room. You're probably decompressing in the summer holidays after having to spend five days a week sitting in there just listening. I've got to say this, right? This is a stereotype about women, but, you know, I do the odd one. Women spend a lot more time discussing what they're going to have for lunch, don't they? Do they? In workplaces, man, they'd be like, what are you having for lunch? Do you know, I hadn't even thought of that yet. You know, like they, they just will talk about, I had, do you know what I had yesterday? Crayfish. And they want to go, Crew, crayfish, yep, crayfish. It's very nice. It's quite light. It's quite mm. light. <laughs> well, women are a lot more communitarian on average aren't they? So they, they like to talk about things and discuss them, whereas blokes, we get the job done, like go sandwich done. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, I, what the worst thing for me is if a bloke wants to talk about his lunches, then I realise that I have to fake interest in it. Do you know what I mean? And, and so I would never talk about my lunch because then I would know that I'd have to fake interest in his. So it's a kind of conspiracy of silence, which is masculinity is best. Just a quick one here, because I realised that the time is getting on. I want to talk just briefly about preachy TikTokers. Um, I'm becoming aware of... I, I just thought TikTok was this stupid thing where people did, like, dancing and stuff. But it turns out that far from um, just being, like, a forum for inane or sort of frivolous fun, there's a lot of TikTokers that just preach at people about social justice values, right? So I've, I've found an example here. Now, you know, when Piers Morgan does the joke about, oh, I identify as a penguin and all this stuff, it's become quite a cliche sort of joke. I, I found an example. It's a really great um, uh, uh, an account on Twitter called The Libs of TikTok. And yeah, here's one. Brilliant. This is straight you know up. This. Have a I listen. know I'm a cis woman, and I know that, like, my, my opinion should be taken very lightly. I'm just saying. Because she's a cis woman. Don't listen to her. As an ally, I want to say this. She's an ally. I'm totally down with meal pronouns such as pizza, pizza self. Kitten. Let's just stop it for a second there. She's Pizza. down with neo neo pronouns. Just not, neo pronouns. Not, not a okay. thing. She just made that up. Uh, pizza. Pizza self. Okay. So she's basically saying if you want to refer to yourself as a food stuff, she's she's down with that. Is, is that just for fat people? <laughs> That's what other people call them. Look at your pizza self. Yeah. Um, let's play on a little bit and see where this goes. Self. Simply 
exactly because, like, if you ask me to call you by pizza, pizza kitten self, you know, whatever, then I'm going to try my best to respect that because what else do I call you? I'd just be plain out, like, disrespecting you if I went by they, them, because that's not what you... So we're now at a point where they, them is politically incorrect. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a problem. And th- these accounts, right, this is a young girl. She looks like, she looks about 20 and it's part of this modern mindset where they're just looking for ways to self-flagellate. Mm. But in, in the process of doing so, a lot of these accounts basically patronise and tell off their audience. And they've got a very strange way of speaking, which is sort of halfway between like a primary school teacher and a dictator, where they just will start their little homilies and go like, okay, so today, you guys, y'all need to understand that neurodiversity, one more time for the people at the back. You're, who the fuck are you talking to? Yeah. How dare you talk to an imagined audience? Well, like it's part of this whole thing, isn't the it? First time. Like the, they're all educating everyone. This is constant never aging education of everybody about everything. Because what we really always wanted in human civilization is the youngest, stupidest, most ignorant and uneducated <laughs> people telling everyone else what they should think. Because that, that's how we advance as a society, right? Yeah. The, these people really piss me off, Jeff, because how, how you and I are supposed to be satirists, right? We're supposed to be able to satirize shit. How do you satirize? Well, how like, does Doyle still do titanium agree? now yeah all these people have gone ahead of stuff that titania yes say would say it's fucking insane and like it's almost like she's trying to do it as a thought exercise where she's going what like if someone's told me to call them that what else would i call them i think the whole thing of telling people how they should address you is weirdly victorian like that's what like the lords and lairds of the land you, you shall address me as you go, mm. I'll tell you what, how about I look at you, uh, I make a judgment call, and uh, if I get it wrong, there might be hurt feelings, but at, at least it won't be authoritarian. Right. And the thing is, as well, is I think what p- these people, well, I was going to say forget, but they probably never, never knew in the first place is part of human communication is getting things wrong and, and you know, calling someone the wrong name and, mm. and having a bit of a laugh and a joke and a, and a whatever and learning to work out disagreements and learning to work out misunderstandings, you know. Uh, and, in, you know, th- this thing that really annoys me is this like idea, wh- like, where are you from? You can't ask someone where they're from because yeah. they might be upset, w- which is really almost always for me as someone who is from abroad a moment of a connection people ask where you're from and then you Mm. have a chat about it and then you find out what their background is and that's how people connect whereas if you're walking around with all of these things that you're supposed to not say and not think about and not ask it it actually gets in the way and uh i I just it's really healthy is it well the, the amazing thing about these kids is they come in low status but it is all about power this is all about mm. how can I pull levers that make you kowtow to me, uh, sort of defer to me, apologize to me. It, that's the thing is they're every bit as alpha as the people that they claim to despise. Mm. They, they just, don't look at. No, they don't. They don't look at. They got, yeah, got all these nose piercings and stuff. But what they're essentially saying is, look, I'm going to tell you what fucking words to use. You go, and that is some Kim Jong-un shit. Right. Uh, let me ask you this, because you've, you've got a son, obviously. Are you worried about him turning into one of these gimps? Um, well, the thing is, is I'm sort of trying to straddle the line between like giving him an honest education, but also preparing him for the world as it might be when he comes to adult consciousness. So what I often find myself is is sort of equivocating a little bit. So I'll say to him something like, you know, son, there's no reason why a woman couldn't be a mechanic. And then I'll say, but most of them aren't. Um, this is uh, just one letter this week. I'm going to get in some more next week because there were some good ones, but we've both got a dash. But this is from Andy Hempstead, a friend of the show. It says, what are your opinions on women's and their beds? My partner, my partner's bed has nine pillows. Now I have four in a double, but isn't nine a bit much? Uh, first up, Andy, four is a bit much for somebody who claims to be a man. This is swinging around hard on you. Okay, why is a man... Do you need one pillow for God's sake? Jeremy, what are you fucking like princess in the pea or something? What? Why I agree you? with you, Jeff, but uh, our producer here at the studio who you've met, Anton, he's, you know, you go in his room, he's got about 20 pillows and he's the most masculine guy you ever meet. So I, I, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe it's, it's the next, gen- mate, it's it's the snowflakes again. It's the next generation. Oh, and oh, I need my neck to be supported and not have back problems. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah. 
Just I tell you, no up. pillows. No pillows. Just get just put your head on a rock, bitch. Um, <laughs> on top of this, rather than a duvet, she has sheets and blankets, which before you get in have to be folded back, folded again, and then well, this is OCD now, Andy. We're not we're not in the realms of masculinity and femini- femininity a bit here. Uh, speaking to m- friends of mine, their partners' wives do similar things. What the hell is going on here? Well, look, first thing is your wife isn't unusual anyway. Women like a pillow, you know, they like a, a well-made bed. My my issue is 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 comfort. It's like you know these flash hotels. We go all right, but I did not sleep better in that fancy looking room than I do in a travel lodge. Okay, mm. so I, I don't need the, the accoutrements of, of beauty. What good I need word. is a good mattress with a sufficient single pillow and, and my wits about yeah. me. Look, man, I have <laughs> a very off old the smackheads in the corridor. Old-fashioned approach to all this stuff. Anything in the house, let her, let her be the boss of that and don't get involved. If she wants pillows and cushions, let her have pillows and cushions. Well, I'd agree to a point, but I think everyone said, well, you just have to remind them that you might disagree. And, and sometimes you might dig in on a subject where you don't really have much skin in the game, but you mm-hmm. just make them go through the process of winning the argument. Uh, because they can get a bit like, you know, like those football teams that have forgotten how to lose. Yeah. You know, they're crowding <laughs> the referee. <laughs> <laughs> going into the referee's room afterwards and stuff like you know what I mean on Sky Sports just just throwing off their headphones and stuff like that so uh, it's worth keeping uh, keeping them honest a little bit of resistance uh, we do we do sound like very middle aged men now all you got to do well, which we are um, listen Constantine uh, thank you so much for coming on the show that was, was fascinating what you were saying about um, that that thread of yours, and I'm really looking forward to hearing people uh, engaging with that. Uh, what is it? We, we we are on the 12th of August here. What would be the next trigonometry we should look out for? Well, there's we've got something every week. Like we talked about the war on drugs, and I think that one, that might be one people would be interested in. We just had a guy called Yoan Grillo on the show, uh, mm. a British journalist who's been in Mexico for 20 years, documenting the Mexican mm. drug war and all of that bit depressing but very very interesting uh and it really looks into what the end product of all of that stuff is really recommend and also we just had the uh, professor carol sakura everybody's mm-hmm. favorite uh doctor talk- yeah well he's not actually a virologist i but know yeah. i know but yeah yeah i yeah. don't bother with facts that much you know i was thinking about uh the war, war on drugs is mm. is what about if we had a war on drugs there's yeah. an idea if yeah it'd be over quicker I mean, I'm going to get boring here, Jeff, and, and get historical on your ass. But actually, most of the wars were on drugs. If you look at World War II, the Germans were basically handing out all their soldiers, all kinds of experimental. Vietnam. Shit. Yeah, well, Hitler was on meth most of the time and other mm. drugs, Goering as well. So, yeah, most of the wars have been fought on drugs, mate. That's kind maybe, of what yeah. you have Maybe to that's do. why he did it all. He was just like a Walter White character and it got a bit out of hand. All he really mm. needed was a few quid just yeah, to the get ho- some treatment for his son. <laughs> the Holocaust was one massive bender. <laughs> and what a, what a place to leave it uh, Constantine Kissing thanks so much for coming on the show and we'll join you uh, next week for another episode of What Most People Think Lockdown, 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 lockdown.